Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Joining me on the show today is the author of a book titled Unfunk Your Gut, Boost Your Immune System, Heal Your Gut, and Unlock Your Mental, Emotional, and Spiritual Health. Dr. Peter Kozolowski, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Awesome. So Peter, I guess maybe did you want to let my listeners know a little bit about your story and um, how you got to do what you do today? Yeah, it's, um, I started as a regular medical doctor. So I I was like a GP or a family practice doctor. Never would have dreamed I'd be in the functional medicine world, never even heard of it really. Um, But what happened was my own story, what happened to me is I ended up in recovery from alcohol. So over the course of like a young age in my 20s, I developed a drinking problem. And so I drank from like the age of 13 on. It was, you know, I didn't think I had a problem. It was always on the weekends. I was just trying to like out having fun. And then I tried to stop drinking when I started residency and and I couldn't. And uh, I just didn't know how to deal with life. So I took a six week break and went to like a a treatment center for alcohol, um, kicking and screaming. Like I didn't want to be there. I didn't think I had a problem, but I kind of had to. And there, 
there were people that were doctors, lawyers, business people, like all these successful people. I thought somebody with an alcohol problem lived under a bridge and, you know, had lost everything. So it was, it was kind of crazy just to see the type of people that were there. But the whole six weeks was not about drinking. It was all about why, right? Which I uncovered um, was trauma. And for me, it was self-created trauma. So when they told me I had trauma, I was like, no, screw you guys. Like, I don't have trauma. Like, my life was good. Um, but what happened was, is my parents are immigrants from Poland, and I was a first-generation American. And I just grew up totally insecure, totally never felt like I fit in, even though I did. But I convinced myself I didn't. And so when I found alcohol, that made me feel like I fit in. And so it, it just got rid of all my inhibitions. And so that's kind of how the issue started. But that's what treatment did. It helped me like peel back the layers of the onion and find out the root cause. So then I, I go back to residency. And as a resident, you're taught by different doctors who have different styles, right? And they all kind of have a different approach. And we had a doctor that every time somebody was hospitalized, he would put them on a multivitamin and vitamin D. And we thought it was a joke. We were like, you know, why are you wasting our time making us write orders for a multivitamin when we could be writing opiates or, you know, blood pressure pills or whatever? And I just kind of asked him one day, I was like, his name was Dr. Batra. I was like, Dr. Batra, why are you weird? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm studying something called functional medicine. And, and he took me to the website and I was like, you know, this looks pretty interesting. Um, and he's like, it's all about root cause. So I had learned that in my own story. And, and my, I tell my story because it's a little different because most medical doctors like me that end up in functional medicine have like a physical illness. You know, they, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or, you know, something like that where they try traditional meds and they don't work. So they try something different. For me, I had a mental health issue that we got to the underlying cause of. And so this whole concept of underlying cause, I was like, man, this makes sense. So uh, functional medicine, the training is done outside of like your residency program outside of school. You have to go to conferences, but I signed up and I went and within the first hour, I just knew that I could never look at medicine the same. Like it was all taught from an anatomy, physiology, biochemistry level. I was like, man, this all makes sense. And at that conference, I was the youngest one. I mean, I was still an intern in residency and all these doctors um, that had been practicing for a lot longer than me and like surgeons and neurologists and all these people were there. And they're like, if you're just starting your career, this is what you need to focus on. Um, so I kind of came out of that first week conference and I was like, I'm going to explore this further. And during residency, my luckily, like my program was very supportive of me kind of searching for something different, you know, following a different path. And I ended up going, I, they let me leave my program for like months at a time to go shadow doctors in my field. So I got to train under Dr. At Dr. Mark Hyman's clinic, Dr. Deepak Chopra's clinic, um, Dr. Susan Blum in New York. So I was a, a resident and, and they just let me sit in with them and learn. And I sat in with the doctors, the nurses, the receptionists, the life coach, the health coach. I was learning from everybody. And so I just kind of took that 
And I finished residency and I went off to like into private practice um, in 2014. And since then I've been learning as I go and um, just helping people heal underlying causes. And through that, we can help people heal chronic disease. Mm, mm, amazing, amazing. It's actually a very similar reason as to why I got into naturopathy myself because um, my, my father's a pharmacist. So, um, you know, sort of going on a different path there. But I was, again, similar to you wanting to identify and treat the root cause of whatever somebody's ailment was. Uh, but I'd love to hear, like, when you were um, working underneath or you were sort of being uh, observing Dr. Mark Hyman, I know a lot of my listeners will know him. What was the biggest lesson you learned under underneath someone like him a million i mean i still have notepads full of my notes that i took for i mean everything was new for me so looking at a stool analysis learning how to read a stool analysis looking learning how to interpret organic acid testing learning what detox means and what kind of toxins to test for i mean all of this stuff it was just so new to me it was nothing that i had learned so it was literally everything <laughs> yeah. yeah crazy crazy so um i guess one thing that seems to be you know spoken about quite a lot is this whole sort of notion and practice of the elimination diet so did you want to sort of explore you know why why so many practitioners recommend it and and whether or not they're effective so when your body reacts to food there's basically like three reactions that you can have you can have a food allergy you can have celiac disease and you could have a sensitivity. And I always say that allergies and celiac are really easy to work with because the regular medical community believes in them. There's good lab testing. So you can go get your blood drawn or a skin prick and you'll find out allergies. You get a biopsy of your colon for um, celiac. And they happen right after you eat the food. So like somebody that's allergic to peanuts goes into anaphylaxis quickly, right? So those, those, those kind of food issues are easy. Sensitivities are what we work with, as you know, in the functional medicine world. And the biggest problem, two biggest problems with them, in my opinion, is that number one, there's not any good testing. I don't, I don't rely on uh, IgG testing, food sensitivity panels. And that's one thing that like, I differ at Dr. Hyman's clinic, as far as I know, they still order those panels on everybody. I've never ordered one. Um, to me, they are the best test for leaky gut. And for anybody that's done them, they're usually just a log of what you've been eating for the last few months. And so that, that's like, that tells me you have leaky gut because you're having a low level inflammation to what you're eating. Now, the other major problem is that they are delayed hours to days after eating the food. So I could eat a bagel every day for breakfast and I feel fine, but I have chronic migraines and I have eczema and I've got gut issues and I go to my doctor and I get pills for this and pills for that and pills for that. But I keep having like a bagel for breakfast every day and I'll never know. Like I will never know. And so allergies can kill you quickly, right? But to me, sensitivities are more dangerous. They're, they're like a silent killer. Um, so I am very pro elimination diet and I know there's different opinions in our world about it, but the reason that I'm very behind it is again, based on science. So 
everything in your body has a half-life, right? So if you drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, your hormones, prescription meds, everything has a different clearance time. The half-life of IgG antibodies, which is what we create when we're sensitive to a food, is about 21 days. So if I had gluten today and I have 100 antibodies against gluten, if I don't have any gluten for 21 days, my antibody count will drop in half to 50. Our immune systems have really good memories. So when I eat it again on day 22, the immune system will remember an attack. And so with me, I, I use a tracking journal that's broken down by like head, joints, gut, energy. You might, you know, you might go into an elimination diet because of migraines, but when you reintroduce dairy, you might break out in like eczema, something you normally don't even have. So I, food sensitivities are very, very prevalent. Um, I think it's mostly because of what we're doing to our food supply. We're changing all the protein structures of all the plants and animals we eat. And, and so to a degree, I think our immune systems are making an appropriate response and like, hey, this is no good. Get out of here. Mm. Um, I mean, it doesn't feel good, but so I, I'm very pro elimination diet. Um, the top six foods that I cut out with people are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs, and sugar. Mm. And I don't know about like in Australia, but in, in, uh, America, like over 90% of soy, over 90% of corn are genetically modified. Mm. Um, so they're a huge problem and you'll never know you have them unless you test yourself for them. Mm. Mm. And something else, um, with the, the whole practice of the elimination diets, um, something that's trending quite, you know, well at the moment is a carnivore diet. So I'd love to hear your stance. Like what's your, your sort of opinion on that? I'm not convinced on the carnivore diet yet, personally. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are having success with it. Um, I'm a gut person, right? Like I just wrote a book on gut health and your gut microbiome, you have, we all have three to five pounds of bacteria growing in our gut. Your gut bacteria are alive, just like, and they need to eat to stay alive, just like us. And so they eat fibers and sugars. So if you're pretty much just eating meat, you're not feeding your microbiome. So, I mean, I, I don't have the capabilities, but I would love to like get someone to do a stool analysis today, have them do a carnivore diet for a month or six months and see what happens to um, their microbiome. Mm, mm. There really is no, yeah, there really is no long, longer term research. Um, but it, one of, it, yeah. One of my theories on it, and I might be wrong, but the most common condition that I treat is SIBO. Being a gut doctor, that SIBO is just the most common thing that I work with. Um, I wonder if a lot of people that feel better on a carnivore diet or just don't have SIBO. And then basically, like if you're not, if you're just eating meat, then you're basically following like a low FODMAP diet, which is what we use for SIBO. So mm. that's part of my theory on why people feel better. But I mean, also sometimes if you're cutting out sugar and I mean, you don't know what kind of diet somebody had before they switched to carnivore, but yeah, I, I just think we need more time to understand, you know, exactly how healthy it is. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of mentioned, um, you know, the FODMAP eliminating FODMAP based foods. You want to 
break that break that term down to my listeners and and why it's still I know it's been spoken about for quite some time, but why it's still relevant? Yeah, so a low FODMAP diet is a diet that's low in fermentable foods, and it is the diet that I use to treat SIBO. And your gut microbiome, the three to five pounds of bacteria, should live in your large intestine. SIBO stands for small intestine bacteria overgrowth. The gut bacteria move from the large intestine into the small intestine. And the small intestine is where you should be digesting and absorbing. So 90% of digestion, 90% of absorption happen in the small intestine. It's 20 feet long, but it has 2,000 square feet of absorptive surface. That's because it's lined with these little outpouchings called microvilli. And so you want that area, you want your enzymes, your pancreatic enzymes, your digestive enzymes to be in your small intestine, breaking down food, and then absorbing the nutrients into your blood in your small intestine. You do not want that area covered in bacteria. And with SIBO, it it might be probiotics. Like you might have good bacteria that are overgrowing your small intestine. Doesn't matter. That's still a problem. Mm. And so the low FODMAP diet, so like the, the highest FODMAP foods like dairy products, um, garlic, onions, apples, avocados, soybeans, the way I, and there's so many different um, FODMAP diets, but the way I try to tell my patients is like, just if you think, if, if we're treating you for SIBO, which I, I like to do a two hour breath test to diagnose it, but if we're treating you for SIBO, then I, I want you to be staying on a low FODMAP diet. It is not a good long-term diet. So because it's starving your bacteria. So I always want people on a, a low FODMAP diet for as short as possible. A, a funny thing that I hear kind of over and over over the years is patients that have gone to GI doctors, just your traditional gastroenterologist, and they've been told to do a low FODMAP diet for IBS. And the GI will tell them, like, I don't know why, like, I have no clue why this might help you, but try this. And it's, and I mean, just like, I mean, luckily they're, you know, by luck getting it right, but um, it's SIBO and SIBO is just really, really common. Yeah. There's one one thing I'd love to dive deeper with you, Peter, is um, a specific bacteria, Acomandia bacteria. I don't know if you've done much research around um, Acomandia. Um, do you want to share with my listeners why it's so why it's so important? So I haven't done much research on that bacteria, so I, I, I'm not the right person to to talk about it. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've recently done some research myself, and um, seems to be very well correlated with improved mitochondrial function and um, you know metabolic health and seems to be the reason why, you know, metformin is so effective for some people for, you know, for weight loss and things like that. So perhaps we can segue and sort of discuss more around um, intermittent fasting, like sort of like what's, what's your stance on intermittent fasting? So I I was pretty um, against intermittent fasting because I'm a foodie. I like to eat. So I, I never wanted to go and be fasting. Um, but I had had a lot of patients that had done it and they came in with very minimal results. And 
the majority of people that were doing it was for weight loss. And the majority of people that were doing it um, were only doing 16 hours. So they were doing 16 hour fasts a couple times a week or every day. And they just weren't seeing benefits. So then doing some more research into it, the whole point of intermittent fasting is gluconeogenesis. You, when you're not eating, your body still needs energy. So your body goes and makes energy out of your stored energy, which is like your fat, right? And so we turn what's stored into energy. That process, gluconeogenesis, doesn't really get going till hour number 20. So that's why I think 16-hour fast, really, they weren't, people weren't seeing much benefit. So exactly. now I am very pro-fasting. I actually do fasting myself. I do 24 hours twice a week. Wow. So dinner on Sunday, nothing all day Monday. I mean, water and I have coffee um, and then dinner on Monday. And then again, Thursday dinner and then Friday's fasting and then Friday dinner. And I had to titrate up to that. I mean, I always kind of did 12 hours just because that just felt natural. Um, when I decided I was going to explore intermittent fasting, I started with 16 hours and I did that for a couple of weeks and I was like, okay, this is doable. Um, and then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to try 24. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So many people like just try to jump straight into like a week long fast or something. And it's just hard, you know, it's not easy. So I, I, I and I go through it in my book to kind of coach people in like how to slowly, you know, up it up, up it. Um, but I don't do it for weight loss. Uh, I do it for my hormones. You know, it increases growth hormone. It increases testosterone. Uh, there's something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. They found that the higher your levels of BDNF, the lower your risk of dementia. One of the only ways to increase BDNF is fasting. E exercise is another great one too. So there, there's it lowers your insulin levels, right? Like they, there was just a study that came out that the rates of diabetes in children went up by a hundred percent in the last 15 years in America. Mm. Um, so insulin resistance is a huge problem. So fasting helps lower your insulin level. Mm. In my opinion, there's so many benefits to it. And I, I always kind of laugh that I'm like, you know, th there's this, the most simple thing in the world is just not eating can make you healthy. And it's like, so opposite of what the way we, you know, our culture is. Mm, absolutely. I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer in fasting myself. I think I do it, you know, most days I do at least 13 to 14 hour fasts. Um, and that seems to work for me. And again, it obviously comes back to individuality. Um, and right. so fitting in with the regime, so I guess we can sort of, um, I'd like to look into more around the immune system because obviously it's a huge topic at the moment. Um, what, what do you do in terms of, let's say somebody is looking for some general tips to optimize their immune system. What, what, what could they be looking for? I can talk about supplements that I use, but to really kind of like heal your immune system, the majority of your immune systems in your gut, right? So if your gut, if you have low stomach acid, if you're not digesting, if your microbiome's imbalanced, your immune system's not going to be healthy. So I think one of the best things we can do is get our gut healthy. Another big thing 
I do is detox. So um, our environment is extremely toxic. And the main toxins that I work with are heavy metals like lead, mercury, cesium, thallium, and then mold mycotoxins. So I do testing and when, you know, toxins in nature are fat soluble. So when we breathe them in, drink them, eat them, they get stored in our body. Unless they go through the liver and go through this two-phase process called detox that is dependent on lots of different vitamins and minerals. Well, our detox capacity is one limited by our genetics, right? So we can all detox a certain amount of things a day. It's limited by our nutrition. And so you need the nutrients to support detox. So that's also affected by, you could have a healthy diet, but if you're not digesting it, it's not going to work. And then it's also limited by your exposure. So if my capacity of detox is like a hundred things a day, in an average day, I'm exposed to 50, I'm fine. But then all of a sudden, like I start binge drinking on the weekends, I'm smoking cigarettes, and then my house floods and I get mold. And now I'm exposed to 10,000 toxins a day. My body's not going to be able to get rid of those. So 9,900 will get stored every day. And eventually that can lead to disease. Mm. Someone that wants to really get their immune system right. I mean, get your gut right, which starts with diet. Um, detox. I mean, most people that have toxins don't know they have them. So, I, I mean, I think that that hopefully one day will be part of just like your general GP visit. And, you know, from a supplementation standpoint, my favorite immune support is glutathione, liposomal glutathione. So, it, which typically comes in like a liquid that you keep in the refrigerator. It's a tablespoon or depending on what kind you get. First thing in the morning, um, glutathione is your master antioxidant. It supports your immune system. It supports your mitochondria. We make glutathione. So a lot of people use NAC, NAC, N-acetylcysteine to make glutathione. I prefer to just jump straight to the glutathione. Mm. Um, other things, vitamin D, and that should be dosed based on your levels. Uh, zinc, 30 milligrams. Um, sometimes if I'm battling like a, a viral thing, I will use high-dose vitamin A. Elderberry is great with covid quercetin. Um, so there's a lot of different things that people can take, but my general attitude is like, I, I don't like to be for my patients to really be taking anything. Like, you know, we, I definitely put people on supplements to treat different conditions, but I don't think we need supplements like long-term to survive. Like I, I think we get healthy and then we control it through our diet and lifestyle. Mm. Interesting. There's, there's actually, there's a lot of, um, yeah, new research around specific probiotics to modulate the immune system. So I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear your stance on, you know, probiotic use, whether it serves a purpose in functional medicine or yeah, I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah. So I I'm known for gut health, but I'm actually not very pro probiotics. <laughs> um, and the analogy that I, I like is, your microbiome is like your own garden, right? And in that analogy, the plants of your garden are probiotics, which we get at birth through breast milk and then through our diets. And the fertilizer of your garden is fibers, 
right? So it's your high FODMAP foods. What happens in a garden when you don't take care of it is weeds can grow. And so that's the majority of what I'm doing with people is treating the weeds, which we call dysbiosis, which could be bacteria, could be yeast, could be SIBO. Um, if your garden at home was full of weeds, you don't go to the nursery and buy more plants, right? You might, but the first thing you need to do is pull out the weeds. And then secondly, SIBO, like I said, is the most common thing that I treat. When you have SIBO, the last thing you want to be doing is feeding more bacteria. And so that's what a probiotic's doing. So I mean, I've seen people that, you know, and in general public, it's like, if you have gut issues, your friends will tell you like, eat more fiber and take a probiotic. <laughs> Some people that works great, but if you have SIBO, you usually, it doesn't work great. Mm. So I guess I kind of stay out of like the studies of like this bacteria specifically for this. That just seems very traditional medicine model. And, and they always want to find one cause, like one thing for one thing, right? Like this equals this. and. To, in, in my opinion, the best thing we know about the microbiome is the more diverse it is, the healthier it is. And the only way to really create diversity is through food. It's like fermenting your own cabbage or making kimchi or, you know, um, having kombucha or yogurts. Um, so most probiotics are just like lactobacillus, bifidobacterum, and then different species within those, but there's not much diversity. So, I mean, I do use probiotics when I'm treating like candida or if somebody's got a microbiome that just looks kind of like empty, like I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's get you on a probiotic. If somebody goes on a course of antibiotics, I'll, I'll put them on like Saccharomyces boulardii. But just to kind of like, I, I, I think it's just better done through diet. And another strategy that it, like I try to use for myself and I give to my patients is once your gut is healthy, then use a probiotic as needed. Like if your diet, like if you're traveling and you're not eating much fiber that day, you're not eating pre and probiotics, take a probiotic. But mm -hmm. if your diet's balanced, you're getting lots of vegetables, you're getting fermented foods, you can skip it. So that, that's, that's a, just a more general approach that I like to take. Yeah. It's very, um, very pragmatic and very logical, I guess, you know, blending common sense with uh, modern science. There was one thing I'd love to talk about as well as um, parasites. I mean, that's, a, again, like how does somebody know they might have a parasite? Do they have to have had exposure? Do they have to travel? Like, let's discuss parasites. I had parasites the first time I did a stool test. So um, I had traveled a lot. So I, I just assume I picked it up somewhere. And, you know, there, there's definitely different opinions in our world about parasites for sure. And in my opinion, the best test for parasites is a three-day stool analysis. So I'm doing a comprehensive stool analysis that looks at your microbiome, it looks at yeast, it looks at digestion, it looks at your inflammatory markers, but then we also look for parasites. So I'll use a one-day stool test if, if I have no suspicion of a parasite. But if somebody has you know, like a history where they're like, yeah, I was traveling. I got really sick or, you know, I really wonder if I have parasites, then I'll do a three-day stool analysis. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I catch maybe like three to five cases a year of parasites. So, and I do quite a few stool tests. So 
not that common. And that's where I know that there's other kind of people in our field that really think that there's a much bigger parasite problem and that you can't catch it through stool testing. In my understanding, the, the three-day stool analysis should catch um, parasites, in which case, I mean, we'll use like anti-parasitic meds to get rid of them. Mm. I had a patient that had never left the state of Illinois and he grew up in the, in like in the country on a farm, but, it, and, and never left. And so I was, I didn't even think of parasites with him mm. because you kind of just think like, oh yeah, traveling, you'll pick them up. Mm. He had parasites overgrowing his gut. And he's like, well, when I was a kid, I used to swim in a stream, like by our, you know, farmland. And so I don't think you need the travel history but in, in, at least in my practice, it's not that prevalent. They're not that prevalent. Um, but when we do catch them, we definitely treat them. And even some of the some of the weird, like neurological symptoms that some people can experience, you know, from parasites, and even some of the, because I mean, if somebody did suspect that they might have parasites, a lot of the symptoms would almost mimic those of dysbiosis, right? Weird, yeah. weird stools bloating, cramping, perhaps weird things like that. So I think, um, yeah, I'd love to see more research in that area as well. It's, um, exciting space. Yeah. Mm. So I guess in terms of like, um, your stance on like nutrient therapy and, um, sort of high dose vitamins, I'd love to hear, cause obviously functional medicine with, you know, we discuss high dose, like, uh, IV vitamin C, and modalities like that. What's your stance around those? So I don't like, I don't administer IVs in my clinic personally. I believe in them. So like something like a Myers cocktail for immune support in, I I've really seen, you know, high dose vitamin use used in cancer treatment, which is not my specialty. So I can't speak much on, but I know there's experts in the field that are using that. Um, and then what I, where I've seen it clinically used is in detox. So people with significant heavy metal levels, people that have just significant, like those neurologic symptoms you're talking about that are due from toxins, then, you know, high dose vitamins, IV, like you can do like glutathione and, you know, like CoQ10 and vitamin C and all these things when I think that someone needs IV treatment like that, I, I have to refer them out from my clinic. But I think in, in, in the majority of my patients were able to heal without using them, but I know there's a lot of benefit in using them for doctors that do. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'd love to hear what you think in terms of where, where, where does the future of medicine lie in terms of integrating, I guess, Western medicine do you see that there might be some degree of integration between the two sort of modalities? Um, I don't know. It, it doesn't look good. Um, and I mean, at least, you know, it, it's kind of a political, it's become a political discussion, but it's kind of like the attitude now is like, you know, get vaccinated and, and wear a mask and then, you know, eat at fast food restaurants and get free donuts. And it's a, it's been kind of shocking for me to watch. And as a functional medicine person, like when the pandemic started and we started learning about who's at risk for COVID, I was like, okay, finally, like people will 
understand that their health is in their control. These conditions that make you more at risk, like diabetes or high blood pressure or obesity are reversible, right? Very reversible. I mean, it's not easy, but it's very doable. Mm. And so I kind of thought we'd have this shift, like, you know, towards health and towards like supporting the immune system and towards natural medicine. But it's like, we're getting attacked more um, it seems like now than we even were. And it's, so I, I guess, I guess I've just been beaten down a little bit over the last year and a half that I don't, I don't know where we're headed. It doesn't feel good right now. Um, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people out there that believe in this, that, that understand that their health is in their control and, but it's just not the way the media is portraying things. So I think that it's a wake up call, right? That a virus like this, that is preying on people with chronic disease is a wake up call that we should start dealing with chronic disease, which the best way is through functional medicine. But I just, I don't know if it's trending in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think both yourself and I like do, doing the right thing to, you know, educate people on the importance of metabolic health, keeping a healthy weight, managing blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, insulin resistance, all of these factors really do contribute to your susceptibility to severity of outcomes with, um, with the virus. So right. I guess, Peter, did you want to let my listeners know where they can, I guess, connect with you more, learn more about your services? Yeah. So my website is doc-cause.com, doc-koz.com. Um, that's the best way to reach out to me. Um, I'm on social media, like Instagram doc underscore cause my book is when I, when I've worked with patients, um, I've been in functional medicine for 10 years now. Always what I learned is like my initial visit was mostly just education. Like I was teaching people about their gut, why it's so important, what toxins are, how they can build up, how you detox. So all of that stuff I put into my book. So that's what I feel like our greatest job as practitioners is, is to educate people, right? So that, that's what I try to do with my book. And it's unfunk and it's funk with a C for functional medicine. And my practice, we had a saying that we put the funk in functional medicine. So that, that's where it came from. Awesome. Um, so the book's available like anywhere you can get, you get books um, and either. So if you want to reach out to me, it's, you know, through my website, through social media, but my life's work is in my book. Brilliant. So we'll make sure to leave that linked in the show notes for those listening in. But Dr. Peter Kozolowski, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 